0: everybody, welcome back. Um, I just want to say thank you everyone for listening and I'm really happy you guys are enjoying these uh, front office series. Uh, this is Hoops and Wine, so I have my wine right here um, and we are going to hop right into this. First off, we are going to start with Austin Ainge, um, another guy that I think gets very overlooked because of who his dad is. But he is a huge, huge part of why the Boston Celtics are succeeding and why they pretty much hit in every single draft. So just to start off with a little bit of Austin's background, he started as an assistant coach of the Southern Utah Thunderbirds, and he was there from 2007 to 2008, and uh, in the 2008 season, he then became a scout for the Celtics. After being there for a year, he was promoted to the head coach of the main Red Claws, which is their G League team, and he was there until 2011, and in 2011, he became the director of player personnel, and um, in 2019, he was promoted to the assistant general manager So during those last um, over ten years now that he's been with the Celtics, he has had a part of scouting the NBA, NCAA, and the international pro leagues. And as I said before, at different times he's been the head coach, the general manager of the Red Claws, and. Right now, he is the um, directs the scouting staff and holds all the responsibilities for basketball strategy, trade discussion, and free agent negotiations. So that, with how successful the Celtics are, those are huge, huge pieces um, to be responsible for. And of course, nobody hits all the time as how many scouts and GMs passed over a player like the Greek Freak, but. I would say Austin gets as close to batting a thousand as one can get. So in the last so many years he has been able to get Jason Tatum and was able to execute that trade, got them first round picks in addition to Jason Tatum. Jalen Brown, who went much earlier than people thought he would. He I they got criticized for it, but You know, he went with it. Marcus Smart. They were able to grab Daniel Tice out of Germany. Grant Williams, this year off the bench, has been a key role player. So those are just some names to name a few. But I, one of these things about these scouts is, you know, they they say they've been following these kids, you know, since they're 15, 16 years old. And then another thing that, uh, Dan Tolzman said that was really interesting was people think the job of a scout is to add people's names. He said, but our job is to cross names off the list. Um, And as bad as that sounds, that's pretty poetic. And one of the things that Ainge said was that He started seeing Tatum when he was 15 and 16 years old. He was super skilled, had great touch and footwork. His size was really good. But he said his basketball IQ stood out the most to him. And he said because he had that, he thought everything else you can just build upon it. Now, when it came to Brown, he said he thought he was just a a freakish, freakish athlete coming out. And he thought that people were too hard on him for his year at Cal because he felt he was actually being used and properly there and that if they put him in their system, that he would fit it perfectly. And you have to say that Austin hit that one right on the money. For a guy that uh, wasn't even sure that he wanted to stay in the game of basketball until his friend called from southern utah university and asked him to be assistant coach uh so many things could have been different but it's safe to say that that austin made the right decision and it's going to be really interesting to see where he ends up i mean because they have two really really good guys in that front office with mike zarin and austin ainge so again You are seeing this trend of really good, qualified guys around you on your team and and how much these pieces make up a successful front office. Next up, we have another Sacramento native, and that is JJ Polk. So that is the second guy on our podcast who is now from Sacramento. Pretty great that we are seeing these successful front office people from Sacramento. Um, Maybe one of these days we can get one of these guys to come back to Sacramento and help turn this team around. But that will, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. So, J.J. Polk. So, J.J. owns a law degree from the University of Illinois. He had worked previously with the Pelicans for close to a decade, is said to be a cap guru, and he was actually just hired uh, back in May for uh, an assistant general manager position with the Bulls. They are completely redoing their front office, and they made a great hire in JJ. So let me tell you a little bit about his history. So he was actually, um, when he graduated from law school, he was with a real estate group and then got hired as the Director of Player Contracts and Basketball Administration for the New Orleans Pelicans, and he was hired in 2010. In 2012, he was promoted to the Executive Director of Basketball Administration And in – he had been with the Pelicans from 2010, then got promoted in 2012, and had held that executive director of basketball administration position until this last year um, in May when he got hired as the assistant general manager. So he has steadily been uh, moving up the ranks, and like I said before, he is the renowned – um, salary cap expert and guru. So we, we have have seen that there are a lot of front office execs in the analytical department, as well as um, when it comes to salary cap, we see a lot of these guys have um, their law degrees. And so that was part of when he first got hired in New Orleans was for analytics and And then they discovered his magic with numbers, and he worked his way up from there. So one tie-in that he has is when he first got hired uh, with the Pelicans, Tim Connolly at the time had just become the Pelicans' assistant general manager. Well, in 2013, Connolly moved to Denver and hired Arturis. Now, being that Connolly had hired both Polk and Arturis, you have to wonder if there is any kind of connection there. Um, and I'm guessing that Connolly probably just gave gave uh, rave reviews, and it's kind of an interesting interesting piece that those two guys both both came up under them and are now together. And credit to JJ because Carsonovis actually said that one of the first quick hires he wanted to make was JJ because he did not want to risk losing him quickly to somebody else. So again, it's pretty cool to see these Sacramento natives out there representing. Great job, JJ. Keep up the work. Maybe one of these days we can get you back with the Kings. Okay, after hearing about this next one, you all might be on the John Hammond train. This guy has as good as a track record as probably I've ever seen. Um, He is a pro at turning franchises that are losing into contenders. And a fun tidbit is he has a lot of history with Joe Dumars. Okay, a little quick background on Joe is he started as a scout with the Minnesota Timberwolves all the way back in 1989. How impressive is it that there was a guy that started as a scout in 1989 and is still in NBA front offices today and successful? Talk about someone that has transcended every era of basketball that I have seen since I've been alive. Um, this guy has been able to stay, adapt, and be successful. So he started as a scout in 1989. He then became an assistant coach with the Timberwolves in 1989. So I guess he shared that position. And then in 1990, he. Um, became an assistant coach, uh, with the Los Angeles Clippers. And then he was there until 1993. And then in 94, he then became, he went back to Detroit and became the director of scouting. Then in 1997, he was promoted back to an assistant coach with the Pistons. Then he went back to the Clippers in 2000 and as an assistant coach And then in 2002, he was hired as the Vice President of Basketball Operations and served in that position until 2008. And then in 2008, he was hired as the General Manager. He served in that position until 2017. And then in 2017, he was hired as the general manager for the Orlando Magic. So talk about someone who has worked every possible position, from scout to an assistant coach with multiple teams, back to the director of scouting, back to coaching, vice president of basketball operations, then up to general manager. The man has seen it all. So John first joined Joe Dumars in Detroit under um Dumars tenure there in 2002 so lucky for him uh the year he got hired is when they did that uh big 20 game jump from 32 wins to um 50 and for the next um decade they were were very successful i don't know if this has any correlation but the year he was hired The Pistons jumped up in those wins. The year he left, the first year um, he left in 2008, they went from 59 wins the previous year back down to 39. So every year that John Hammond worked under Joe Dumars, the Pistons were extremely successful. When he left... Is when they started going down. And to Joe's credit, he has been on record saying that um, one of the hardest things after that was so many of his guys got promoted elsewhere that how se- he realized how severely understaffed um, his front office was at that point. So one thing that if Joe is staying on here... Um, being that he's admitted that, that you really hope that that is what they try and do in this search. And, you know, they really try and get these GMs or assistants, however they're building this front office, um, getting as much talent in here as you can because you are seeing how stacked these other front offices are. Now, one thing impressive about John is in the 26 years he has been in the NBA. 15 of those years, he got his teams to the playoffs. The Kings could so desperately use a guy like that in their front office. When he was with the Pistons, the Pistons were 330 wins to 158 losses. Beautiful. And no, I'm not biased. We just don't know what that kind of winning looks like here. And either did the Milwaukee Bucks until they hired John Hammond. And the key to the Bucks' success was in drafting and, what do you know, trades. Trades what small market teams need to do to succeed. They are not big free agent destinations. You have to hit in the draft and you have to make smart free agent acquisitions. Okay, so I'm gonna break down the top 10 moves that he made with the Bucks. In 2009, Hammond made what was considered a risky pick, and drafted Brandon Jennings at number 10 overall. He had um, foregone college and had ended up playing pro in Italy, and so that was kind of a um, a risky move as, as we kind of still see now that um, people foregoing college and going to play pro, it doesn't always work out. But he was a hit pick. And one quick interesting thing about – Brandon Jennings was the only players drafted in that round after the number ten pick who had a higher career vorp But then Jennings is Drew Holiday, Ty Lawson. That is it. So that was two thousand nine. So next we have two thousand eleven, and sadly it entails our own Sacramento Kings. So. You might remember this one. It was a three-team trade that dealt the first-round pick, Jimmer Fredette, and everyone's favorite player, John Salmons. So <laughs> they came to Sacramento. Corey Maggette went to Charlotte, and guess what the Bucks received. Charlotte's first-round pick, Tobias Harris, Stephen Jackson, Sean Livingston, and Beno Udre. Now, (laughs) who won this trade? Yeah, I don't think this one even (laughs) needs to be mentioned. Sorry, Kings fans. Next, we have up everybody's favorite 2013 draft. And it was Giannis Antetokounmpo. I really hope I got that one right. It's always fun to try and say. But that is the home run pick of all home run picks. He was young, skinny, playing low level of professional basketball in Greece. But he was the ultimate projectable player. I guess people said they could have seen it coming based on they did the same thing with Jennings years earlier, but this one was probably even more riskier and huge upside and we've all witnessed that it paid off and it literally single-handedly turned the book's franchise around. Y'all know I don't even need to to mention (laughs) any more than that of, of things that could have been. So, also in 2013, Brandon Jennings was traded to Detroit for Brandon Knight and Chris Middleton. So, let me tell you this. In 2013, single handedly got Giannis and Chris Middleton. And who did he get Chris Middleton from? Joe Dumars. Now, the next year, after just getting Giannis and Middleton, he gets Jabari Parker at number two. Um, we've all seen how Jabari's, you know, um tenure has played out and he's now with us, but I mean, that was a hit on draft night, and it's really sad what um what injuries can do to a player's career. But all things considered, um, it it was not the wrong pick, and he flashed his potential that season, averaging twenty points um, in those fifty-one games before he suffered that that torn ACL. So you almost do wonder what could have been um, between that trio of Giannis Middleton and and Parker had he not gotten injured. Now, not only does he seem to find hidden gems. In the first round, which I don't know, I mean, hidden gems is kind of, I don't know if people would say you find those in the first round, but he's hit more times than he's missed in the first round. But he is good in the second round, too. In 2016, he grabbed Malcolm Brockton, and he turned out to be a complete steal in the 2016 draft. I don't need to tell you who we drafted in 2016. I will not relive that. Um, (laughs) I was studying abroad in Scotland at the time, watching in the middle of the night and yelling at my laptop, waking up my dorm roommate. So we will not get into any more. Now going back to um, second round talent, I will say I did skip over this. But in 2008, another pick he found in the second round, Luke Mambamute, who has had a great career in the NBA. But again, you were seeing he is finding hits in the first round and the second round. Now, something interesting going back to Luke Mambamute was he traded him to our very own Sacramento Kings in 2013. Now, a part of that trade was he sent us a 2019 second round pick so in 2013 we got luke plus a 2019 second round pick and ended up being the last pick in the draft and we ended up using it on Vanya. we don't know if he's ever going to come that's that's now that vladi's gone um i would probably think not but you never know um but the Kings actually sent the 2016 second-round pick, and who did the Bucks choose with that? Malcolm Brogdon. So again, um, at the time, maybe you know it—it it made sense. Um, that was part of you know us trying to turn things around back then. But it is interesting to see how. It played out for us and how um, the Bucks end up succeeding with it. Now since taking over um, the Orlando Magic, he's done a good job there and the Magic have made the playoffs for the last two years where they previously were not. So again, we're just seeing a pattern of, of smart decision-making and being able to turn franchises around. Now, again, he's not perfect. No front office executive is. But there's a reason why the guy has been in basketball for 35 years, has been able to stay in basketball for the 35 years, has been able to adapt with the changes in basketball, and just has a glowing record um, and reputation in the league. So I will end today's um, part three segment on John. Um, But again, if Joe is the guy here, I think John is a name that uh, Joe trusts. And when it comes to a team that has had a lot of previous issues with trust, John makes a lot of sense so um it'll be interesting we'll see how this process plays out but yeah just another name uh, throwing out there and hope you guys enjoyed the podcast I will be starting on part four um at some other point this week but again thank you for listening and let me know what you think